G'day, and welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Key areas of focus are industry analysis with key stakeholders, policy makers, engagement with farmers and producers, and working to close the rural-urban divide. Working with Postquake Farming, we're taking a look at what farmers are doing to improve their businesses, their biodiversity, their land use, and their well-being. Events like earthquakes and climatic factors have a significant impact on New Zealand's farmers and producers. Many areas in New Zealand are vulnerable in the same way. So, it is important and relevant in my view for all farming communities throughout New Zealand to learn from events such as the Kaikoura earthquake. Before we get into it, let's take a quick look at the May 2020 update for viticulture and horticulture. Wine exports have shown positive results. During April and May, the North American market has seen an increase in volume consumed and an increase in the average price per litre paid year on year. Initial spikes in retail sales suggest stockpiling through lockdown periods. This is supported by Nielsen figures from the US during March and early April. There has been a reduction in consumption in Europe under lockdown and we will not know the exact impact COVID-19 has had until we get deeper into 2020. As far as vintage is concerned, we are hearing that an average to higher than average crop has been harvested and both Marlborough and Hawke's Bay are stating that the quality of fruit is exceptional, which will result in the COVID-19 2020 wines being superb. For horticulture, due to COVID-19, many challenges were in front of producers as supply chains became disrupted. The combined value of vegetable, nut and fruit exports increased by 20% year on year in 2020 to around $120 million. This lift was predominantly driven by apples and kiwi fruit and the depreciation of key trading partners' currencies against the New Zealand dollar. Over the last three weeks, I have discussed the social and economic benefits and the environmental implications of irrigation with farmers and industry experts. In this episode, I'm talking with North Canterbury farmer Mark Zeno to discuss what further irrigation would allow him to do on his property, which like many east coast and northern areas is susceptible to drought. I'm also talking with Scott Hoare, a senior project manager from Inovo, who has been involved in the infrastructure of large irrigation schemes at a project management level in the Amuri Basin. Firstly, I will check in with Scott. Hello Scott, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Angus. Have you come through lockdown all right at home? And has your business been impacted at all? Uh, yeah, no, look, we have, um, yeah, we've come through pretty well um, at home uh, with family and also uh, through work. Yeah, look, we've been impacted in some ways through this lockdown, but um, we've got a pretty steady workload in front of us. So um, that's, uh, that's helping us out as we uh, get back into the new norm. Please, can you tell me a bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so Inovo is a project management consultancy, provide a strategic advice, advisory services to our clients um, and also construction project management planning and other advice through sort of our construction projects and you know, construction and infrastructure. I understand your company has been involved in irrigation in the Amuri Basin. Yes, that's correct. Uh, we're involved in a number of projects and uh, yes, the wire and Balmoral scheme in the Amiri Basin was a project that we worked on with AIC and uh, as planning and project management consultants for them. Once the green light is given for an irrigation project such as the schemes in the Amiri Basin, please can you tell me a bit about the process or how the process starts and the various stages of development right up until the farmer can start pumping water? Yeah, so I mean it's a uh, it's a very long process, um, a lot of work done up front for 
the feasibility side of things. So uh, with the Amuri scheme, having a lot of existing farmers on the scheme um, allowed for the scheme to progress pretty well into converting uh, into a pipe scheme. Um, so once the PDS and shear sales had been agreed and the distribution without through the basin, um, the designers worked to uh, finalise that through a design process, through sort of some preliminary design and costings um, into developed design um, into the final detailed design. At that stage is where we look to procure the project with a number of contractors putting out requests for proposals um, and then going through an interview process and understanding uh, the contractual requirements and also the, the financial impacts of each of those to select a contractor and from there looking to get that contract agreed and uh, onto, onto site, so to speak. A lot of uh, liaison with farmers and getting out there and uh, understanding the impacts and how that would work through the site through to the infrastructure installation, testing and commissioning and then allowing the farmers to connect up and, um, and use the water. Yeah, it's a, it's a very structured process and uh, one that sort of worked tried and true with a traditional procurement process of design, uh, tender and then build. What environmental considerations do you have to give to such a project? Uh, look, this is uh, a very uh, important part, part of the project, especially with a number of external parties involved with, uh, with ECAN um, and dealing with the, the amount of land that we work through understanding um, on-farm environments and also you know there are a number of stream crossings and trying to cause as little impact as possible on this so we have to go through and apply for special consents and now the considerations of those and also how we're actually going to undertake the work so we have to create a construction management plan of the processes how how we'll do that and then we also have to work with those involved to make sure that we do as little disruption as possible things include you know dewatering distribution of water on site control processes and the like to to ensure that you know when we do the work and when we reinstate that we're actually putting it back to what was what was there. How many staff have been employed during irrigation projects Innovo has been involved with in the Amiri Basin? Uh, look so I think at, at any one point of time uh, there was up to about 200 staff on the project you know involving local contractors as well um, but yeah so we had uh, from Christchurch um, and a few others from further south um, came up and were involved in the project in one way or another. So, yeah, it was it was quite a, a good impact, um, positive of your know, locals uh, being involved, but also providing local hotel, motels, accommodation, providing a number of um, I suppose financial benefits for the local economy. Do you think farmers are more aware of their impact on the environment today than they were, say, 30 years ago? Uh, definitely, you know, the fact that they now need to have environmental plans, um, understanding what impact it is. And I think that also uh, with the media and accessible for those people in more of an urban uh, environment, understanding what's going on in the countryside, it's more, more visible. So uh, that they need to know that, you know, what practices they carry on farm are being viewed from a widespread audience. You mentioned urban perception. Do you think there is a disconnect between urban populations and rural communities? Oh, I definitely think so. You know, I, I suppose coming from my own background, uh, on a, growing up in a rural community to, to a small town to, to moving to the city, there is definitely a bit of a disconnect from some people who grow up purely in a, a rural, uh, sorry, urban environment um, and just exactly what, you know, where stuff comes from, really. Farmers have a big impact on where food comes from. Primary exports are around 15% of our GDP. 
Do you think farmers have an important role to play in our economy, particularly now with reality biting due to COVID-19? Yeah, I do. I think that um, I think we all have a part to play, but um, farming is has been a key driver in, in the past and, and will do into the future. So, you know, things are changing and just exactly what those industries will be. But, um, you know, farming definitely has uh, an important role to play in that. Thank you very much for chatting with me today, Scott. Yeah, no problem, Zangus. Uh, anytime. When we come back, I'll be talking with Mark Zeno. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having a chat with me today. Hello, Angus. Thank you for having me on. Has COVID-19 changed anything for you at home or on the farm? Uh, no, if anything, it's made it slightly busier for us because um, we, we had to go down a staff member who um, had a, one of us always returned from Australia, so they had to go into lockdown. So uh, unfortunately, we were busier than normal. A staff member down would certainly put some pressure on. Yeah, I did during, you know, we're, we're farming in Harden and, and it was a particularly dry time, March and April. Um, so obviously getting ewes ready to take the ram and, and then holding condition on them while they were while mating season was starting. So um, there was a lot of feeding out, a lot of extra hours going in, but that's what you do. That's why we do what we do. We love it. Mark, please tell me a bit about your farm, where you are located and what you farm. So we're about um, 10 k's west of a small town called Harwarden, which is oh, it's probably um, half an hour northwest of Amberley, mainly flat and a little bit of hill block. So in total, we farm 1,100 hectares, uh, 750 of which is on the flat and has a rainfall of about 620 to 650 mils. And the hill farm, 320 hectares, has around about a rainfall of 850 to 950 mils. So not far apart as the crow flies, probably only five to eight k's by road, um, but a significant difference in rainfall. The hill farm is basically a breeding unit where we run 130 beef cows and 600 hinds. Um, we also have 300 velvining stags up on that farm. Uh, the flat farm is kind of the engine room of the whole operation. Uh, we run 3350 ewes and a thousand hoggets go to the ram every year. We also have 150 Frisian bulls and that we're we just trading. And we also finish all of the wiener deer and the wiener cattle that come off the breeding farm. So uh, we also finish all our own lands uh, on contract to Ansco Foods. So that's pretty much the farm. Oh, we've, we've got 115 hectares of irrigation on the flat and it's the lifeblood of the farm at the end of the day. It's the most important asset we have. So yeah, that's, that's a wee bit about the farm. Interesting how close those properties are and the difference in rainfall. I can imagine it quite challenging looking from one part of the farm to another part, seeing rain and not getting it at the other. Yeah, it's a big challenge. Um, but that's, you know, we I'm a second generation farmer here. So my brother and I are actually farming, my brother Sam and I, we've, we're farming all the land together as a partnership. Um, yeah, and it is a wee bit frustrating looking to the west and seeing rain falling on the top farm, but then you also know that um, your cows and your hinds and your velvet stags are getting plenty to eat in that environment. So, you know, there's an upside to it as well as a, as a, a slightly um, frustrating side, I guess you'd call it. Are you looking to increase your irrigation? And if so, what would it allow you to do that you could not otherwise? Well... Currently, we have just under 10% of the farm irrigated, and that's a, that's of huge benefit to our current farming operation. In fact, we couldn't achieve what we do achieve in terms of production without it. So we understand the benefits of irrigation. 
uh, and for a long time we've been uh, big supporters of the Hiranui Water Project, which is now uh, no longer, and that asset is the consent assets were sold to uh, Amiri Irrigation, who is going to develop irrigation on the south side of the Hiranui River, a small scheme comprising of approximately 4,000 hectares. So irrigation to us is really important because we are an intergenerational farm. We're not thinking about a short-term gain or financial gain or anything like that. We're thinking about providing an asset that our children can take over that is better than the one we've inherited. Of course, we are looking at finances all the time. Of course we are. We're not this is a business at the end of the day and we will the markets will dictate sometimes the directions that you choose but ultimately we don't see a lot of change for us we still want to be sheep farmers we still want to be venison and velvet farmers uh, we still want to be cattle farmers so irrigation for us doesn't mean a rush to dairy it's not even in our psyche that type of thing mm. it never has been and it probably never will be of course we look at we're looking at uh, different things we're looking at um, a little bit of cropping with this new water we're looking at um, possibly sheep or deer milking we're also looking at possibly vegetable production and we've got a wee test plot of nuts and a, and a tiny orchard that we're just testing a few things in. So, you know, the, the, the Amiri irrigation scheme on the south bank of the Hiranui is going to offer us diversity. And it's something that we're pretty mindful of is that currently we're very, or we're heavily involved with the meat industry, the red meat industry, so in terms of our income. Um, so we've, you know, a little bit of diversity is actually not a bad thing. Um, we'll still be involved with the red meat sector, but um, and we'll, it'll still make up over seventy percent of our income. But we've got to try new things, and it's that's the exciting thing about it is that, you know, we we can we can do this um, without the whole rush towards milking cows, which has been for years has been, you know, what irrigation has all been about. If not all of the farmers taking up the new water, I don't think there's any new dairy cows going into the the new Hiranui scheme. So they're all looking to do intensive cropping and continue with their sheep and beef operations and some of them are deer farmers like us. What we have to remember is the soil on the south bank of the Hiranui is, is a lot better than it is on the north side. Uh, the north side is probably more suited to running cows, whereas the south side, the soils are, you could say, too good. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of vegetable production. There'll be a lot of cereal production. It's the opportunity that irrigation provides is what we're really interested in, you know, particularly for the next generation. Has your on-farm practices improved from an environmental perspective from, say, your first year in business to today? Oh, of course it has. Every farmer lives under the mantra of handing the land on in a, bit, in a better condition than how you started with it. So we've, you know, in our own personal situations, we've planted thousands and thousands of trees in the form of shelter belts and forestry blocks. We've planted thousands of natives. We've fenced off all our waterways. We're continuing to do swamp work where we're uh, fencing off swamps. Not that we have many because it's getting so dry, you know, and protecting them. Um, so that's, of course we do. Of course we um, practice protecting our environment. We're doing a lot more around, I mean, there's a lot more regulation in this space now too, remember. And we're now having to do overseer. Um, we're doing nutrient budgeting. Uh, we're being very careful about. Uh, where we place our fertiliser um, using GPS. Uh, we've been very care careful with chemical use around waterways and we're also having planted a lot of trees for shelter. We're trying to minimise soil erosion at the same time um, and also provide shade and shelter for animals because at the end of the day, um, animal welfare is critical to what we do here on this farm. 
the environment's key. It's number one for us. Always has been and it always will be. So you're constantly improving your on-farm practices. Of course we are. Look, I mean, you, when you're a farmer, you've got to be very mindful about uptaking new technology, you know, listening to new science. You know, there's always ways we can do better, you know, and if we knew those 10 years ago, well, we wouldn't have done it 10 years ago, but the reality is we didn't know that. We know now the science or technology is telling us, so the majority of farmers are adapting. They're um, taking up the new technology, the new science, and, and putting all those things in place, and you're going to see farming's impact on the environment only reducing over time as more and more of this technology and science is available. Are you getting drier at your place, Mark? I think, you know, like we're, we're certainly in a cycle that's a lot drier than we were. Mm. Um, I can remember when I was a boy, creeks flowing on this farm. I mean, I haven't seen those creeks flow for the uh, last probably five or six years, but you've got to remember it during those times, during the last five or six years, we've had the two and a half year drought. And we've just had another drought. So that's three out of five years or three and a half out of five years we've been in drought. So the water table has never really been replenished. So that's, you know, like, of course you're going to see change. I think what I am noticing is, you know, I've been farming since I took, you know, my father died when I was young and I took over and, and my brother took over in 1994, 95. We certainly are seeing the weather swing more violently each way. You know, one minute it can be extremely dry and then the next minute can be incredibly wet. But, you know, that's that's just farming. You're in, you, you've got to deal with that. You've got to make sure your farming system can cope with it. You know, don't overstock times. Have levers you can pull to destock when you need to. Plant some trees, slow down the wind, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, you know, the, I think it, the climate has changed, but it, is it climate? I'm, I'm not really a big climate change person or fanatic, I guess you'd call it. I, I mean, I can see that something's changing, but... Irrigation or increased irrigation at certain times of the year would really, really help mitigate yeah, it would. some of those I think, risks. You know, I think New Zealand as a whole, New Zealanders as a whole, have got to understand that, you know, one of our biggest strategic assets we have in this country is water, fresh water. We've got an absolute abundance of it when compared to just about every other country in the world. And yet we only use six to seven percent of it for irrigation. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, every river should be dammed and, you know, every drop of water should be used. But what I am saying is that there's a strategic, we as a country have a strategic advantage over other countries. We have an, an incredible pasture-based feeding system compared to uh, countries overseas that are all cut and carry operations where they cut the grass and all the feed in the paddock and bring it to housed animals. No one likes to see housed animals. That's why New Zealand, you know, the strategic advantage we have around our past, outdoor pastoral-based system is, is, you know, that, that's a real asset to this country. And irrigation only adds to that. As long as we play by the rules around the environment and, and, aware, and are aware of our um, nutrient outputs, and you know and the the impact on the environment i think we can do irrigation really really well in this country we are a, an irrigation leader in the world now new zealanders do think strategically or particularly new zealand farmers around how to use water more efficiently when compared to other countries so i just think that you know i'm a big believer that the water water is is life at the end of the day and we have just have an abundance we just need to be a lot more strategic about how we use it, how we harvest it, how we store it, um, because it's a great asset to the country. At the other end of rough COVID-19 waters and moving forward, how are New Zealand's primary industry exports placed in the global environment? 
Our pasture-based system is a world leader. Our animal welfare is a lot greater than most indoor farming operations. We have an amazing clean and green image in New Zealand that we need to protect, and we are protecting. You know, we're producing what the discerning consumer wants. They want high-end meat, high-end milk product or products, you know, derived from milk. You know, they want top-end cereal production, top-end vegetable production. So, look, we can do all of that in this country. So it's a, it's an incredible asset that we have that, oh, I guess it's food safety is what it's all about. We're incredibly strong and out the end of COVID-19, which is, you know, it's been rough on everybody, but... We're very, very well placed as a nation to take full advantage of that. However, in the background, we need to make sure that the government clearing red tape around, instead of putting more red tape in, they need to make sure that farming businesses can thrive. Um, and whether that is access to water, um, whether it's access to research, you know, they have to get in behind agriculture rather than treating it like a bit of a, which, well, I, you know, I'm a farmer, so I'm slightly biased, remember. It's a very important part of our overall economy. When you look at the numbers, 15% of GDP is a considerable contribution to this economy, particularly as we try and navigate through COVID-19. Yeah, it is. It's a massive part of the economy. And it's interesting now that in COVID-19, with the borders shut for possibly another 12 to 18 months um, the tourist dollar is really not available to New Zealand as a country anymore so the reliance is going to fall heavily on agriculture and and onto manufacturing in this country I just hope that you know we can all see sense and and help farming or agriculture and industry during this tough time I don't think farmers um, are really expecting the government to bend over backwards and do this and you know and make everything easy because that's not all businesses face all these challenges every day you're seeing Aucklanders running running out of water um, Northlands running out of water the east coast of the North Island could have had a dam built but no that, that wasn't allowed so they're running out of water east coast of the South Island is very you know we're, we're up there in terms of water use there's still lots of opportunities around water storage and fine-tuning current irrigation schemes to get possibly more ground irrigated with less water. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity as well that I just think that we need to um, all, as New Zealanders, embrace that opportunity. Thank you very much for your time today, Mark. Absolutely no problems, Angus. Thank you to my guests today, Scott Hoare and Mark Zeno. The infrastructure of irrigation schemes is a significant process with wide-ranging benefits of its own to rural communities. 200 staff and contractors were employed or contracted during the installation of irrigation schemes at any one time in the Murray Basin. Mark talked about how at his property climatic events are changing and weather patterns are becoming more extreme. Irrigation for Mark is about enhancing his current farming system. He will still be a sheep and beef farmer. He will still maintain his breeding hinds and velveting herd. Irrigation will simply provide water at critical times of the year when it is needed and provide options for land use changes such as horticulture or cropping. He mentioned the extensive infrastructure improvements he and his brother have made to the benefit of the environment. He is committed to leaving his property in a better position than when he arrived. And I believe he will achieve that. He says there must be rules for all farmers to follow to ensure they are doing their bit to improve their water quality and the environment. 
I think policy needs to be realistic, achievable and ensure our farmers remain profitable and have the ability to continue driving our economy out of the COVID-19 mud. Throughout history, New Zealand has relied on its primary industry and right now we need our farmers more than ever. That wraps up a four episode discussion on water usage and irrigation. It is a big topic and one I will come back to. Next week, I'm taking a look at an industry that has serious potential that is very relevant to our urban and our rural communities. With our borders being closed, it is now more relevant than ever. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.